This is the Gambling Gauchos. Hey! If we keep playing and fighting for each other, and no matter what happens, we just say, what's next? That's all we do! Somebody turn on some damn music! You're listening to the Gambling Gauchos. Talking Texas Tech. Betting on the Big 12 and beyond. We've got everything you need. Money lines, memes, and matadors. Well, you want to quit, Ethan? That'll be that day. Now, here's Kyle Jacobson and Rob Bro, The Money Line Matadors. The Casino Cowboys. The Parlay Picadors. You see, in this world, there's two kinds of people, my friend. Those with loaded guns, and those who dig. You dig. With the Gambling Gauchos. Oh, and one more thing. It's all West Texas. It always has been. Welcome to the Gambling Gauchos. I'm Rob Bro. He is Kyle Jacobson. Bell of the ball. Kyle, how you doing, man? Good. My voice is still a little bit shot, so apologies in advance for that. There will be some times where it just goes out on me mid-sentence, and I'll just do my best to try and repeat whatever I was going to say. I think that's... um... A good example of how rowdy we might have been for a good portion of Wednesday. Yes. My voice is going out on the stream that we had at Bell Station. I do want to shout out Bell Station real quick. Hope to be back in Houston. I hope Houston's first Big 12 game is another trip to Lubbock, but I'm assuming since they were in Lubbock this year, you'll probably go to Houston this year. Um, they might work it out that way. They might not. We still have not seen a schedule, and that's something we'll need to discuss. I think they said February now. I don't know why it's taken so long, but uh, hmm. we are live in the Cardinals Sports Center studio right there. You can gear up for anything you're doing. <clears throat> Basketball season now fully underway for Texas Tech as we move on from football season after today. They'll play conference games starting tomorrow. If you need some Texas Tech basketball gear to get you ready for the spirit of basketball season and Big 12 conference play heading into tournament season, you can get that at Cardinal Sports Center, mycardinalsports.com, or live and in person at the Lubbock store or the Plano store. Gambling Gauchos merch available online and at the Cardinals store in Lubbock. Hats still going fresh. How many hats do you think we saw in Houston? Seven, eight, nine, ten? I mean, out in the wild, it was amazing. Lots at Bell Station, for sure. Yeah, that was cool at Bell Station when you saw some guys walking in and they're like, okay, that's our people. Yeah. I mean, and even the people who weren't wearing Gaucho's gear, tons of red and black, so it was just fun to be with your your fellow Red Raider brethren and sister. And Imagine 
I think brethren works for both. Is that? Uh, yeah, okay. I don't think we need to. That's all encompassing. Yeah, I think so. Okay. It was fairly amazing. Imagine having like a standing steak night date at Bell Station, and then showing up on a random Wednesday. <laughs> it's packed with Red Raiders. And we're screaming from uh, the VIP section to ring the bell. It just pretty awesome. Pretty yeah, awesome. we had Raider Powers. We had Gaucho's Country. Let's ride. So yeah, we had a lot of fun at Bell Station before the game. Some might argue a little too much fun. No. I wouldn't argue that. No, I would not argue that at all. Others might. Others might. But might have had even more fun afterwards, which. Could have turned into too much fun for some. But you didn't lose your phone. I did not lose my phone. <laughs> Although sources tell me not every Red Raider who went to the game yeah. can say the same. There might have been a parlay picador or two that uh, lost their phone. Or two? Just one. <laughs> well, I didn't, I didn't know about the rest. We hadn't uh, heard from some of them. Maybe because they don't have their phones. Right, but, exactly. Uh, the parlay picador who did allegedly lose his phone allegedly. per sources. He's he's one of one in a lot of ways. And yes. So I hope he was one of one in that respect as well. This is our bowl recap episode. We'll be talking about the Texas Bowl. We'll be talking about Lane Kiffin. Uh, I'm going to start at the start of the game, obviously. Funny how that's going there. Uh, the very first play, so I'm in the press box. I'm not watching. I didn't really catch it live, but there was a delay of game, and I was like, "What was what? What's happening? What's that? Why are they declining it?" It was a tribute to Mike Leach. They came out in the air raid formation. It was the stacked receiver on the right side, uh, doubles or trips to the left, wide splits, offensive lineman standing straight up. It was very cool to see. I'm glad I caught that again on the replay. As they were going through that, I did not catch it live, but that was a, a pretty cool thing to do for both Lane and Joey getting that together pregame. Yeah, same here. Watching live, I was like, what are we doing? You know, snap the ball. How do you get a delay of game coming out of a timeout? Um, but yeah, figured it out later. And I know we already did an episode to kind of um, honor Mike Leach, but. Stuff like that, even just like the really wide splits. I remember that as a kid when you're learning the game of football. And like that was probably the first time I heard about splits. And like I didn't know that offensive linemen would line up different um, amounts of space from each other. And I remember them showing on TV, they're like, you know, look at these guys. They're six, seven feet apart, you know, whatever it is. And uh, so it just, because of his innovation and his unique style, kind of helped people learn the game. You're like, oh, okay, that's what that's called, splits. And then other teams like Wisconsin, their splits are going to be like this. And, you know, so that was cool that they chose on him that way. And, of course, Ole Miss declined the penalty, so they obviously knew what was going on too. But, uh, yeah, that was that was a nice touch for both teams. And, and both teams also had the helmet decal for Coach Leach. Yeah, and we've seen that uh... – around in several of the bowls with some some honorings of Mike Leach and that's that's special it, it it's it's going to be talked about over the next several years I'm sure uh, Mike Leach keeps getting brought up and and deservedly so I think you'll have a lot of comments and concerns for Mike and his family and 
the state of football moving forward. But let's get to the game. Um, do you want to start with just some general takeaways, or do you want to go straight into the moment-by-moment moment recap? Let's, uh, I guess let's recap the game itself, and then we can talk about all those game takeaways, season takeaways, post-game shenanigans, all that crap. All right, so starting off in the first quarter, uh, you have uh, a fourth down stop, turnover on downs from Ole Miss, uh, and then you get right down into the red zone, and you do one of your, hey, every quarterback we have is on the field plays, and Tyler Shuck throws interception. Um, at that point in the game, I'm thinking, okay, this is – the defense has showed up. The offense is also showing up because you move the ball right down the field on them. Ole Miss is gettable. But if you're going to turn the ball over, this is going to be one of those games where you should win, but you're not going to. Did you have that reaction early, or, or was, it a, was it a, hey, let's go, this is, this is going to be great? A little bit of both. I like the, the – uh... You know, we're able to start quick, at least moving the ball. All fourth down stops, whatever it wound up being. And so it kind of felt like, you know, yeah, we had a really good shot there and we squandered it. And, you know, I guess there's good and bad, depending on how you view this, but only one touchdown on your first four trips to the red zone. And so final score, you win by 17. Part of me is thinking you could have won by 30. And another part of me is like, well, had Ole Miss capitalized on on you not having success in the red zone earlier in the game, they could have kept it closer. So it's one of those things where we're not going to complain too much about anything when you win a bowl game by 17 points. But no. that was, you know, if you were going to point to one or two areas um, in need of improvement, the red zone efficiency, especially early in the game, would definitely be kind of like one of those areas. Uh, after the interception, uh, 28 years old, and I don't care. I still hug Mickey Mouse anytime. It's the most rewarding thing. No free ads, Rob. I hate ESPN's website. Yeah. Those freaking odd. I mute it every time, and then an ad comes up, and just it's like, hey, Mickey Mouse, uh, Disney World. Freaking ESPN. Um, anyways, you turn over on downs right afterwards. So the interception to me washed away. Because it's a three and out right after. Um, and I guess I didn't watch Ole Miss closely. I watched a lot of their stuff this year. But it seemed like Lane Kiffin was out of his game plan to match Joey McGuire. He was like, Joey's going to go for it on fourth down a lot. We're going to go for it on fourth down a lot. And it seemed like a team that wasn't prepared to do that. And it reflected in that they went two for seven on fourth down. Obviously, Joey and company go five for six so that was a big difference in the game to me but then you go down and score after that and it's just game on in that respect yeah I thought that was funny after the game as I was kind of taking in some of the fan reaction from Ole Miss's side and they're basically griping about the way they lost that game the same exact way Tech fans griped when Going for fourth, going for it on fourth down didn't work out so well for us earlier in the season, and you know so many of them are like, I don't want to hear about this analytics stuff. Why are you going for it on your own eleven yard line? What the heck are you thinking? Lane got paid, and now he doesn't care. And you know, you and I have talked about this before. That fourth down strategy, 
it can be extremely rewarding, but if you're hitting at a two for seven clip like they did, it can also be bad news for you. So, you know, they can they can complain about the decision making there, but there's also an execution element where a lot of those were fourth and shorts and they were trying to do what they do best, what they won eight games doing this season, which is running it right down your throat and you didn't let them. And so I I tip our hat to the Texas Tech defense for out executing in those situations and not I don't really place blame on Kiffin for making the decisions to go for it on fourth down. You know, I'm sure he uses a similar analytic service that Texas Tech uses and had the math on his side. I don't think he was just freewheeling it, saying, like, oh, yeah, I just feel like we're going to go for it more often today. But, yeah, you you kind of – we talked about this some on the preview. Is, is Ole Miss going to exert their will and, and force a style of game that they want to play, or are you going to kind of uh, fight back and do it your way? And I would say – a game played where fourth down execution is important is has kind of become part of our brand and Ole Miss not being able to run the ball very effectively uh, was a huge missed opportunity by them and a component of their game that they definitely wanted to achieve that for the first 85, 90% of the game, um, you really bottled up Judkins and he gassed you a little bit late, but by then the outcome was pretty much not in question. And so the, the final stats on that might be misleading, but they were showing the graphics all game on the rewatch about how far below their season rushing average they were pretty much all night. When defensively, even, even after their final quarter and a half where they started running the ball, they were well under their season average, uh, 70 yards, I think below their season average. But speaking of gashing, the one drive they had major success was the drive after Texas tech's first touchdown drive. When they throw it twice, have an incomplete pass, and they're like, all right, well, let's let Zach Evans have a try. And he goes 10 yards, 8 yards, 5 yards for the touchdown. And in the moment, I was like, why don't they run Zach Evans every single play? I mean, he obviously has the Texas Tech number at that point in the game. Uh, They finally got him for some big losses in the second half. But at that point in the game, he has like – a 12-yard average against Texas Tech lifetime. Yeah, and I, I don't know. I don't know. I guess they were just not wanting to go away from Judkins because he's been their lead guy all year, and they've kind of used Zach Evans. I think change of pace is probably selling him short a little bit. But, yeah, I mean, even pretty late into the game, I think Judkins had like a one-point-something yards per carry rush average, which is unheard of. I mean, this guy has like all the freshmen – newcomer in the SEC accolades and has earned and maintained the starting job over Zach Evans all season. And like I said, until some of those very last drives when you're already up by 16 or more, and he he did gas you a few times, but by and large, you completely bottled up their run game, uh, which is the identity, the foundation of their offense. So that was huge. And it wasn't um, – I guess I'll just say – a lot of guys on the Texas Tech defense deserve credit for that. You know, it, I think it was easy to forget on Wednesday night that we're playing without our best player on the entire team, Tyree Wilson, a guy who's now creeping up into top 10 territory on a lot of these mock drafts. But it was almost – I'm not going to say you didn't miss him because he's an incredible player, but both of your starting defensive tackles, Hutchings and Bradford, who of course are coming back next year, were making plays. Miles Cole, Isaac Smith – Sean Merriweather at the linebacker spot, Jacob Rodriguez. It was like the entire defensive front was playing out of their minds. 
And so that was good to see that like you weren't overly reliant on one player. Gave me a lot of hope for next season as well because most of those guys are coming back, I think with the exception of Merriweather. Yeah, and I would say, it, I mean, defensive MVP, Kosa uh, Eldridge had nine tackles. Creeshawn had eight tackles. He was all over the field in the run game. Um, maybe Rabbit was the player of the game defensively. He had the interception on fourth and three that probably should have just batted down, but it was the good old arm punt, as they call it. Uh, I think that was the next drive after maybe a field goal from Texas Tech to make it 10-7, to but really, really good showing from the defense, and they got a lot of yards in the second half, but because you stopped them on fourth down so many times, a lot of their yards don't matter. And that's why we talk about so often it's the drives per yard, it's the or the yards per drive, it's the yards per play, it's the yards per score that matter. And a lot of these total defensive numbers are empty. And that was a game where you gave up a bunch of yards, but you kept them out of the end zone. And if you could play that kind of defense next year with a lot of the guys that are returning, you're going to be really good. Yeah. I mean, just a couple pulling from the box score here. Miles Cole. He'll be one of those guys that you rely on to help replace Tyree Wilson. He had two tackles for loss. Isaac Smith, same deal, two tackles for loss. So, I, I mean, I was nervous. I mean, I know you had Joseph Adetere, uh, a true freshman who played really well. But I was like, I don't really know how deep we are at defensive end next year. And after this game, I mean, depending on where exactly they line guys up, but between Cole, Isaac Smith, Josiah Pierre, Joseph Adetere, I, I feel – a lot better about that position than I did six weeks ago or whenever it was that Tyree Wilson got hurt. And I wasn't quite sure what that pipeline looked like behind him. So that was great to see. And yeah, this game is the perfect example of why using total yards is a completely antiquated way of analyzing football statistics. Cause these two teams combined to run, I don't know how many plays, and so it's not the same as like a Big Ten team that ran 65 plays, putting up 500 yards of offense. And like you said, let them get yards on you. But if you turn them over in the red zone or stop them on fourth down or something, who cares? Like I will let a team get 70 yards of total offense on any drive if that drive ends in a Tyler Owens interception in the end zone. Give me that all day long. And that's what we said the recipe was to beat these guys. You're not going to just stop a high-flying offense like that but can you slow them down enough in the run game, force them to throw it and turn them over? And the answer was a resounding yes, you turn them over five times. And yeah, they gassed you sometimes. They had big plays. They had big drives. Jackson Dart made some impressive throws, but he also threw three interceptions and you also recovered two fumbles. And so I am fine with that recipe and our our total defense, total yardage ranking is going to take a hit for it, but I, I don't care. I'll, I'll take that recipe any day of the week in modern college football. Um, when you're looking at some of the guys at the, the back end of this defense that didn't play much in the year, but got some time late, you mentioned Isaac Smith. Is he the, the, maybe the guy that's trending the most upwards from the end of the year to next season? Cause I know some offensive players, I think Cameron Valdez has some breakout potential. Uh, offensively with Sir Roderick Thompson gone, he'll be the second guy, I think. 
Uh, Bryson Donald probably also going to get some run, but Taj Brooks and Cameron Valdez are going to be a, a really good one-two punch. When you're looking at a thunder and lightning type run, in a lot of ways, Sir Roderick and Taj Brooks were similar running backs. I think Cameron Valdez provides a little bit of a different look. Uh, but Isaac Smith, when he was out there the first game, man, was that against Iowa State? where he kind of had a breakout game and was like, he was making some plays and we're like, well, that was a, he's from Oklahoma. It was a Matt Wells recruit and we're kind of downplaying him, but he's only made plays since he's been in. And he had a really good game. He only had four tackles, but they were really important tackles. And then he was down the field getting fumble recoveries at the end of the game. Yeah. And even some of those plays where he didn't get home, you know, he was forcing Jackson Dart out of the pocket or, or, or uh, screwing up the timing of the play. So He's an exciting prospect, in my opinion, because A, he's a redshirt freshman. B, he hasn't gotten many snaps yet. C, he's flashed a ton of potential. And D, I think he could still add 20 pounds to his frame and not lose a beat. I mean, he's he's got a good build, but he also looks like a lanky freshman. And I'm like, you know, shoot, if they can get him through an offseason and get him looking more like Tyree Wilson, he could be an absolute monster. And you don't easily replace top 10 draft picks. But like I said, I, I just feel a lot better about that position group based on what we've seen the last month after Wilson's injury. And I think Isaac Smith will be a big part of that. And you're also going to have two redshirt freshmen that didn't play this year that will be in town and um, Trevor McAlpine and Sincere Massey. So you lose guys like Tyree Wilson, Philip Bleedy, and and some others, some seniors. But again... Not missing a beat is a good way to put it, I think. Uh, and then linebacker Jacob Rodriguez also flashing this year. I think he'll be a good piece and probably a starter in in the the years to come. Yeah, and it appears good news with Bryce Ramirez. He was walking without crutches or a boot or a cast. I'm sure he still has a long way to go in terms of physical therapy and everything. But you and I were chatting after the game. We just kind of figured with that kind of injury. Uh, you know who could blame him if he just chose to hang it up and not play again? But you know, it it sounds like maybe he is going to try to get back to where he was pre-injury and and do the rehab, do the conditioning, get some strength back in his leg, and and so he'll be a big piece at linebacker next year because that is where you kind of thin out a little bit if if Kosa Eldridge doesn't win this appeal to get another year of eligibility and Krishan Merriweather is gone, so. We'll see what happens there, but uh, it, it was cool to see him on the sidelines, you know, walking without um, a boot or a cast or anything like that. Offensively, some breakouts, but I, I want to talk about Tyler Shuck, who we both, and I guess we're through the first quarter of the of the recap, but we'll be all, all over the place a little bit today. Uh, Tyler Shuck... When when the coaches talked about Tyler Shuck throughout the season, it was always, well, he gets us in the better play. And he's going to be focused, and he sees the running game. If it's a light box, he'll switch to a run. And he did that. He did that in this game. But a lot of the runs he switched to were quarterback runs. I liked Tyler Shuck's resolve in the final four games. He went 4-0. He won those games. It was probably, 
I'm not going to say the four worst teams you played, but Ole Miss trending downward. Ole, uh, Oklahoma six and six to end the year. Iowa State a bad team. Kansas six and six, and then you beat. Who else did you beat on that stretch? Beat Kansas, I, Iowa State, Oklahoma. Oh, I just said them all. It's just four games. Ole Miss. Yeah. <laughs> hey, let's think of a fifth game out of the four. Uh, but this one he runs 25 times and. The entire time in the Discord, if you want to join the Discord, patreon.com slash gamblinggachos, I'm calling for him to stop running. Just hand it off. All of these short-yarded, like, don't put yourself in a position to get hurt, but at the end of the game, it's like, hey, it worked. And I'm not going to complain about Tyler Shuck running for 111 yards if he's healthy at the end of the day and out there calling the correct plays. Now, there were some red zone opportunities they missed, because I thought they were in some bad play calls. But overall, if that's the Tyler Shuck that shows up next year, I'm in. And I have not been anti-Tyler Shuck, but I've certainly been pro-Baron Morton and pro-Donovan Smith this year. And I would not have been upset if Tyler Shuck went to the draft this year and Baron Morton got the keys. But at this point, I think I would prefer Tyler Shuck to have the job next year and let Baron Morton cook another year in the system. Yeah, I've got a few thoughts on that. First, the multi-quarterback sets, I would say, didn't work that well. Like, you got on that one where Baron Morton pretended like he was going to take the snap, you got a yard. Yeah. So I guess it quote-unquote worked. But Anybody could have done that. Plays, you um, – when Baron Morton, when he threw it, it was an incomplete pass. And as that kind of Swiss Army knife, Taysom Hill type role. And at least in the first game without Donovan, it it didn't go as well. And so I'm curious if they still lean on that. Um because if it if it is executed as poorly as it was versus Ole Miss, I'm I'm probably not a fan of trying to do the two quarterback stuff next year. I, I love the creativity. Yeah, I I'm for it in in theory. And again, maybe if Donovan was coming back, that's part of your um, offensive repertoire next year. So we'll see. Um, Tyler Shuck, I think he got an unfair rap with the fan base because of the two injuries. Um, I remember seeing some sentiments, you know, back when everything was in flux and it was like, okay, well, when Chuck is healthy again, is he the starter? And there were people who went as far as to say, no, he can't stay healthy. He's a West coast, pretty boy. He's not, you know, durable. I, I don't really believe in the term injury prone as a concept. No. Now, now there are athletes that deal with kind of lingering, nagging injuries where they injure a shoulder once, and that shoulder is kind of an issue for the rest of their career. But I, I don't. Maybe I'm being obtuse, but I don't understand it when a guy like, let's say, breaks his hand, and then when he recovers from that injury, he comes back and tears his ACL, and people are like, oh yeah, well of course he tore his ACL because he's injury prone. And I'm like, him breaking his hand four weeks ago does not make him any more likely or less likely to tear his ACL when he returns. Tyler Shuck's injury against Texas last year was, in my opinion, a fluke deal. It wasn't because he's soft or fragile. He dove into the end zone, landed on it wrong, and, and collarbones are tough. The, um, I'm not a 
I'm not a biologist or a physiologist, but uh, the collarbone is the last bone that finishes developing in your body. It doesn't like fully solidify until age 25. So it's a fragile bone. And then he gets hurt Murray State and kind of like uh, lands on it and a guy lands on top of him. So anyway, I just don't buy into the idea that like, oh, don't run the ball with Tyler Shuck or we know he's injury prone. And if he comes back next year, we're going to need Morton anyway because Shuck is destined to get hurt. Right Now it's football. Guys get hurt. But also it's football and you can't avoid – you can't play in a way to protect a guy from getting hurt. That is actually probably more likely to get you hurt if you try to dance around it and things like that. Now, sure, run out of bounds, slide when it makes sense. But you have a really good athletic quarterback who's an effective ball carrier. And so I'm for leaning into that yeah, and, let, and letting the chips fall where they may rather than saying don't run the ball with Tyler Shuck because he's injury prone. I I think he's tough as nails, actually. I yes, mean, he, agreed. He is not afraid to put his shoulder down. He's not afraid to take a hit. He's not afraid to pass out some hits because he was throwing blocks. He's trying to truck some dudes. And so do I want him running the ball 25 times a game? No. Do I have qualms about him doing it 10 or 15? No. No, it, it's just some situational ones, like a fourth and three to hand it off. I think you, you also – have to realize you have good running backs. Yeah. And if it's three or four games in a row, two games in a row, where he's having 25 carries, I'll be upset. A comment comes in. I flashed it on the screen earlier uh, when I was talking about complaining about Tyler Shuck running during the game. Uh, it felt like something I want to complain about, but we're winning, so why complain? I, I agree. Sometimes, and that's why I do it in the Discord. I don't do it on Twitter or live, but... Sometimes you just need to vent about what's going on, especially in the press box when you can't cheer. Um, it gets a little tough sometimes. But there were moments where Tyler Shuck, I thought, was doing too much. But again, it worked. And we have a, a saying, we don't complain about Big 12 wins, and we're not going to complain about a bowl win over an SEC team either. But looking back, I think 25 carries was too much. But it was successful, and... Uh, the yards per carry, again, we talked about that earlier, but the one long run kind of saved his, his yards per carry late in the game. And and that's what happens. If you run yeah. a bunch of times, eventually you're going to break one. And it's also fair to wonder – well, and, and actually going back to your point on average, also, you know, let's uh, – we learned a little bit about success rate this year. And, like, if it's fourth and two, you don't need six yards. You need two. And so um, – I think he was running in a lot of situational spots like that where you didn't need anything too flashy. But, um, yeah, I, I think it's also fair to wonder which of these calls were from Kitley, which of these were from Shuck, because we know the quarterback has free reign at the line of scrimmage. And so I wouldn't put it all on one or the other unless I knew the answer to that, and I don't. Right. So, Anyway, that, that's just something for people to keep in mind. Like, a lot of times they're just dogging Kitley for a play call. Like, well, you don't know that – Maybe we called the exact opposite of that, and the quarterback switched it at the line, or vice versa, where they're asking why Shuck is calling his number so often. Like, well, maybe that's what Kitley is sending in. And that, that um, was my comment I, on a bunch of the red zone stuff too. Like, people are like, I, "Oh, Kitley you. sucks in the red zone." It's like, well, we don't know. Yeah, and I look. I mean, this is all hindsight, but I, you know, I to my credit, I say this live when it's second and goal inside the one yard line. I am a fan of going under center and trying to fall forward for half a yard three times. And if you don't get it, you tip your hat and move on. Instead, we're doing these like double reverse passes. And on one of those, you didn't score. And it was 
like second second and goal inside the one. Let's like yeah. you don't have to get too cute here. You know, save that for a two point conversion that you need or a fourth and three, third and three that you need. Like let's just run a QB sneak. Or put Jalen Hutchings in and do a fullback dive. Yes. Yeah, the the sh- sh- shotgun from inside the three should be banned. Yeah, I just think we're I, – I love Kitley's creativity in the red zone, and it has worked for you at times. Yes. Uh, throughout the season, but also sometimes I think it's a little too creative when you need a foot or two. Um, uh, One more note on Tyler Shuck's collarbone. When you – I'm not a doctor either. Or what'd you say? Biologist? Physiologist? Yeah. Physiologist. I don't even know if that's a word. If you break your collarbone, it is more susceptible to being broken, which is why he broke it the second time. But then they put in a titanium plate. (laughs) Like he's not going to break his collarbone again. Not that one. He might break the other one. But there is a piece of titanium. Do you know what? They build spaceships out of titanium. Like he's not going to break that collarbone again. Um, And again, as you said... I had a lot of doubts about Tyler Shuck, and I never called him to question his toughness. But to me, he's proven all that toughness stuff absolutely wrong over the last four weeks. And well, even to, to double, just to double down real quick, he's also my main thing with Tyler Shuck is it always seemed like he was here for Tyler Shuck, and I think he's also proven that wrong over the last four games, being a team player. Uh, getting the players in the right situations, uh, getting Jalen Hutchings a touchdown, all that stuff puts together. And then he he says what he says in the postgame press conference after Oklahoma. I didn't love the situation, but I liked his sentiment that he showed a little fire, that he wasn't just a robot because Tyler Shook sometimes is kind of a neutral guy, doesn't show a lot of fire, uh, but you see it now. And then you have the podcast where he's talking about the Puff Fund that was floating around the week uh, during the bowl prep. Like, do more of that. Like, show your personality. Be a Red Raider. And I think Tyler Shuck has proven a lot this year. And in some ways, he didn't need to. But I'm glad he has. And I'm more than willing to be a Tyler Shuck guy, QB1 guy going into next year. I want to have that conversation, but before we do, even before this last four games where he started and completed uh, four wins in a row, I went back to the Murray State game and the sequence where he broke the collarbone again. He breaks it and he comes up and he's kind of like moving his shoulder pad like he knows it feels wrong. And then they call one of those quick sideline passes and he airmails it or something. And he's you see him grabbing it. He's like, you know, geez, what is this? The next play – he stands in the pocket for like four seconds. There was an absolute dart between like three different Murray State defenders at different levels of the defense. Hits Nehemiah Martinez. It, it was an imp- when he made that throw live. I was like, I think that's the best throw he's made as a Red Raider. And then after the game, I found out he did that with a broken collarbone on, on his non throwing shoulder, but still. Right. I was like, okay, I'm not. I'm not going to question this guy's toughness. And then when he comes back from that injury, he's just barreling into guys running the ball twenty times a game, and I know our fans don't like it. And they shudder every time that shoulder gets hit. But this guy's obviously not worried about it. And I think that's the right way to play the game. Yes. Rob, on my way down to Houston from Dallas, stopped to grab some lunch, got a barbecue sandwich at a gas station. And it was solid. But it was no Rahino barbecue. 
It had me missing uh, Olton or the food truck in West Texas, wherever they may be any given weekend. RahinoBBQ.com, at RahinoBBQ on social. You know them. You love them. If you didn't get out here during football season and didn't have a chance to try Rahino, hopefully you can come during basketball season. They run in all kinds of uh, lunch specials nowadays where you can get a full meal, quality barbecue. Usually it's like 10 bucks or something for a, a brisket burger side and a drink, something like that. Shout out to our friends at Rahino Barbecue. Sometimes, Rob, you got to eat barbecue from somewhere else, but that doesn't mean I have to like it. So it had me missing Rahino Barbecue. I was looking up their uh, specials. I, I believe they're doing smoked half chickens this weekend with ribs and two sides for 15 bucks. Uh, and then I also saw somewhere they might be doing some some ribeyes. So if you're not following them on uh, social media, follow them on social media. Uh, Rahino BBQ on socials as well. Okay, so this QB1 discussion, we've seen it on Twitter. People have asked us. Um, now, I think the obvious answer is that Shuck goes into the spring as the starting quarterback. That's what will happen. I don't want to speak for you as far as making that prediction. Uh, some have said they predict Morton will beat him out, and, and we'll see. I guess I wouldn't rule that out. Um, but I don't, I don't know if there is a – a true quarterback competition in the in the sense that like okay yeah either one of these guys has a, a roughly equal shot to come out of camp as a starting quarterback I think Shuck has re-earned that he already earned it once last offseason and then this season I think when Morton was healthy again they obviously chose to stick with Shuck so the question I want to ask you Rob is that's what we think will happen do you agree with that that, do I agree that that will happen, or do I agree that that should happen? No, yeah, I should have phrased that differently. Like, do you is that what you would do if you were in charge, or do you think that Morton should be the starting quarterback? Look, I think Morton is better to the sideline. I think Morton has better pocket presence. If Baron Morton can read the defense pre-snap better. I think he is a better quarterback, but age, I don't doubt Tyler Shuck's intangibles. And at some point, I don't care who you're playing. The kid is eight and one and seven and oh, when he starts and finishes games. And you've gone through a lot of quarterbacks at Texas Tech, especially in the last decade, who have not been able to do that even against bad teams. And defensively, you're better. Offensively, you have a lot of talent on this team. Um, I do not buy into the empty cupboard or any of that. You're going to be even more talented next year. Um, you're going to be deeper, which was the problem. And I think when we talk about recruiting and, and all that stuff, it's, it's easy to say that Matt Wells recruited poorly because he did. But he didn't recruit nobody. Duran Bradley, uh, Loic Fungi, the top end, Taj Brooks, Sir Roderick Thompson, some of those are Cliff guys, but the top of the roster has talent. You just had zero depth. Now that you have depth, and you're going to have even more depth over the next two years, uh, why not play Tyler Shuck, at least go into the season with Tyler Shuck as QB1, 
and then have Baron Morton play the two following years or Jake Stronger, whoever else. Now, yeah. I don't think you have to prepare long-term like that all the time. But in this situation, yeah, I think Tyler Shuck is QB1 going into the spring. Uh, but I also wouldn't shut out the idea of Baron Morton in a competition. Like, that's what I want. I want an open competition at every position. Quarterback shouldn't be different. I think Baron Morton has the higher ceiling. And the, the, what, what I struggle with is we've only seen Baron Morton fully healthy for not even two quarters in Stillwater. Like, the second half of that game, he had a bum ankle. He had a bum ankle in uh, West Virginia Baylor TCU. And then we haven't really seen him since other than on a couple of multi-quarterback sets. But even in that limited sample size, I mean, you see the potential. You see why Kitley is making comments like, you know, he's got arm talent that is comparable to Patrick Mahomes or or, or whatever that quote was. I don't remember exactly. And I I get it in this portal NIL era that the fans are worried that we're going to lose Morton. I can't like speak to that in terms of is he going to be antsy if he's not named the starter or something like that. But yeah, I mean, how do you, how do you go away from the guy that basically won the job in the off season, won the job mid season, finishes four and O has more starts under his belt. Again, I could, I could live in a world where if there's position battles in spring practice, like there should be, if Morton is just making leaps and bounds in terms of the the mental part of the game that you're alluding to, then yeah, I don't think you just guarantee Shook the job. But I also think he's pretty prominently solidified as the starter going in. And unless something changes, you know, I, I'm not I don't want this to happen. But like if he misses spring practice due to injury or something, and it's the Baron Morton show and he just balls out and they say, Okay, yeah, then you're the guy. I don't, I don't want them to rule out that possibility, but I think it's hard at this point to to justify going away from Shuck. I, I also think it would send a potentially bad message to the team because, I mean, they're, they can read the tea leaves. They can read between the lines, and I think it right. would be perceived as a move of like, hey, even you older guys that have produced well for us and are good leaders and have won some games for us, we're going to let the younger guys play ahead of you just to keep them happy and hope that they don't transfer. And and whether that's the motive or not, that's how it might be perceived by some people. And so I think they would say, like, well, why would I fight my ass off, you know, as a redshirt senior here? Because I know you're just going to start the sophomores that are, you know, up-and-comers on the team. And so I, I just don't know how you, how you message, you know, how you PR spin a change at this point in a way that makes sense. Right. And I, again, it's, it's, uh, an interesting conversation and we'll have it all off season. I don't know that we need to spend an extra 30 minutes on it today, but to me, Tyler Shuck is QB one and Baron Morton is the best backup in the big 12, maybe in the country. Uh, and that's a benefit to Texas tech. Uh, this uh, good point that I showed on the screen a little second ago, I have to assume Tyler Shuck will mature into next year as well, which could be dangerous. Yeah. I, I think a lot of people look at Tyler Shuck and say, well, he's the veteran. Is he? I mean, he played seven games at Oregon. He played three and a quarter his first year at Texas Tech, and he played five and a, or four and a quarter this year. So he's not even played much more than a full season 
Uh, he's got about a season and a quarter under his belt over four or five years. So he's not played a ton of football in college. He has played in several seasons, uh, but he's won the job from three different coaching staffs. So it's hard to argue with results because he only won at Oregon, pretty much. They got gifted a Pac-12 championship berth, but it, it is what it is. And, and I think Tyler Shuck and Baron Morton do different things well. Um, it stinks that the last real view of Baron Morton we got was against Baylor. Because I think that was the offensive line's worst game in the back half of the season. You did again, to you did to Ole Miss what Baylor did to you, in my opinion. Just physically that's where I go back to these limited sample sizes. Because Shuck looked dreadful in that Baylor game too, and and so did Donovan. And the TCU game, Morton leaves before halftime, and within that sixty minutes, Morton looked better than Shuck, or like his stats were certainly better. But then we go on this four game run, which I was not expecting from Shuck, based on how we played against Baylor and TCU. You'll remember, I was like, why didn't they put Donovan out there? You know, just based on what we had seen to that point, I was like, I don't know why we're going with Shuck, but he proved us and, and a lot of people wrong. And now four games later, I don't know how you I don't know how you go back. Sorry, I I think Brock Osweiler was just eating a macaroon with mayonnaise on it in the in the Duke's mayonnaise bowl. If you're if you're on the stream or watching on YouTube, youtube.com slash at gambling gauchos. Uh, oh man, that was disgusting. I just was making a disgusting face while you were talking. I wasn't doing that to you. Um, all right, let's get back into the game a little bit with Ole Miss because I, I do think there's a few more things to talk about. Uh, and one of those we just alluded to with the offensive line, this offensive line, and I'm, I'm being delicate here, sucked in September. They were bad. They had a pretty good game against Texas. But other than that, over the first four, five, six games, they were really bad. And they were bad in spots against competition in the back half of your schedule. But I have zero qualms with the effort and improvement that they had as a unit over the year. And I think that's credit to Stephen Hamby. I think they played with a little more aggression late in the year, which is a, a handy staple. Um, we're kind of riding the line between talking about the game and talking about the future here. Uh, Weston Wright is going to be gone. Four starters will return. How many starters from this year's offensive line start next season for Texas Tech? I think some of that depends on Landon Peterson's recovery from his injury. I think he'll be in the mix, but I believe Don Williams with the Lubbock AJ reported that he's going to miss the spring. Now, thankfully, he's a guy who's been in this system and has started and played some games, and so that's less of a hit to him than you know some like retro freshman who's trying to earn a job for the first time. But I, I don't think you bring in Rusty Stotts and Cole Spencer from Western Kentucky unless you anticipate that they'll be starters. I think Monroe Mills is one of the few guys that you know you feel confident about. I don't think any of them are guaranteed a starting spot next year. Um, 
then I think I think they're trying to figure out what to do with Caleb Rogers. You know, he has practiced at center. Uh, something you mentioned that we had heard might be going on during bowl practice several weeks ago, but also during the game he's playing tackle. And so I think basically for the three tackle spots, you have a competition between – excuse me, two tackle spots, you have a competition between three guys, um, Caleb Rogers, Monroe Mills, Ty Buchanan. Now I think Landon Peterson, Cole Spencer maybe could rotate out to tackle if they needed to. But on the inside you have Dennis Wilburn, He'll probably move over to guard if Stotts goes to center. You'd have Jacoby Jackson, again, potentially Landon Peterson after recovering from the injury coming back. Um, I know I'm missing one. Yeah, I think uh, – I think Cole Spencer. Yeah, Cole Spencer. I, th- I think if I was just to predict today, Ty Buchanan and Monroe Mills will be the tackles. Uh, Cole Spencer, Dennis Wilburn will be the guards. And then Rusty Stotts to center – Caleb Rogers, the sixth guy, he started a lot of football for Texas Tech. I wouldn't count him out. And again, he played much better over the last four or five weeks. Uh, but he was an absolute liability early in the season. And maybe that's a system change. Maybe that's some calls that are different for the left tackle. Uh, but there were some one-on-one battles he just flat-out lost. Uh, and that happens with offensive linemen. It's really hard to play offensive line, especially against the teams you were playing against early this season. But yeah, I don't know. I, I think that is good, but but here's the conversation I'm really happy we're having. There are seven, eight guys I would be comfortable with starting on the offensive line next season. There was three heading into this year I was comfortable with after the Cole Spencer injury. So yeah. you, you are emphatically improving the offensive line, and, and that makes me more excited for 2024 but I think there will be solid improvement in that unit again in 2023. Yeah, I basically never count on a true freshman to contribute on the offensive line unless it's a Jack Anderson type. And you but, might have one of those. But you also have redshirt freshmen that it, it would be difficult but not impossible for one of them to make a huge leap this offseason. And maybe maybe a guy like Seth Martin or somebody you know factors in there. So, yeah, I, I feel a lot better about the numbers, the quality. I mean, it's one of those deals. If you've got seven or eight legit guys that have already been starters in some capacity and you will that down to your best five, you feel pretty good about that. I mean, just the fact that there's competition and somebody has to win the job rather than it just being handed to them because you don't have the numbers or like there's no feasible alternative is a better spot than you've been in the last few years. All right, the the physicality in the Ole Miss game. Yeah. Did that – I don't want to say surprise because it wasn't really a surprise, but, man, even early and especially late, I just thought Texas Tech flat-out kicked Oklahoma's ass physically. And to the point where – Ole Miss. What I say? Oklahoma. Them too. I mean, that too. Them too, Yeah. But you hear you hear Joey McGuire against Houston in Texas saying, I don't know when they will break, but they will break. And you saw that, in my opinion, in the most drastic of fashions, because you broke Ole Miss physically and mentally late in that game to the point where Ole Miss is getting chippy in the early fourth quarter and late fourth quarter uh, to the point where they had a dust-up where they alleged – uh, 
things happened in the postgame press conference, which I, I guess we can talk about that as well. But the, the physicality, if that's the brand, and he's said it has been all year, but if that's the, the literal embodiment of the brand, I'm more excited about Texas Tech than I even thought I was. Yeah, I mean, it was enough for the announcers to remark on it multiple times that Texas Tech was a more physical team. And, you know, there's a, a fine line between cheap shots and targeting and roughing people up with some good old-fashioned football. I feel like you walked that perfectly. Um, th- there were times, Rob, going back multiple coaches ago, where you got off the bus and lost to the logo. Yep. You know, the other the other team had an SEC patch on their jersey or a paper clip on their helmet or they're wearing orange and you lost between the years before a snap was played. Now, SEC teams of course after they lose bowl games didn't want to be there anyway, but for their own safety and personal well-being they should at least act like it between the lines between the whistles because football's a violent sport and so i love that we came with that attitude and mentality and i hope it um hope it is present every game you know not just big games or bowl games but i love to see that because there was a time where you would piss down your leg a little bit at oh we have to play the sec and you kind of like believe what sec teams believe about themselves that they just you know i had an old coach used to tell me you know when when we got off the bus and knew we were the smaller team or whatever he'd be like hey they put on their pants one leg at a time just like you and that's what i wanted to say to the like yeah georgia alabama they're insanely good ole miss south carolina kentucky doesn't scare me you know but a lot of people are just like oh sec you know and it's their fans and our fans. Yes. And by birthright, we're wearing the SEC patch. We're just going to roll in here, and we've never even heard of your little old school from the little old Big 12. And sorry, you might think that, and I know some of their fans still thought that after the game, but we beat you by 17. We roughed you up for 60 minutes, and I loved every second of it. Texas Tech is now 4 0 against future or current SEC schools. Yeah. I was trying to think back. Are they actually 5 and 0? Is Arkansas the last team you played in Arkansas the last SEC team? Well, not if you're lumping in future SEC cuz you lost oh, to yeah, Texas and OU so. a bunch of times. So current you're 3 and 0 against the last 3 current SEC teams you played. So, yeah, current SEC and then let's, let's go back to 20. If we start in 2015 after the Arkansas right. butt whooping, yeah. Uh, you went one and one versus the SEC that year because you lost LSU in the bowl game. And then I don't think you played an SEC team again until these two matchups with the Mississippi schools. You played Arkansas the following year in 16. That's what I'm saying. I'm starting, or was that I'm starting in the second year, 2015. Was that 14-15 you played? Oh, that's they beat right. You, that's right. They beat you here in 14. You beat them there in 15. So, yeah, you'd that's be 3-1 right. and one in your last four against current SEC schools. Yeah. And I, I just don't get their fans, dude. Like, one of them was on Twitter. was like, yeah, y'all are not 
like the SEC is not a lesser conference. Y'all are not ready for play in the SEC, which like I was trolling a bit by saying we should kick out Texas and OU, send them to a lesser conference. A bit. They took the bait on it. Yeah. But I was like, I mean, at some point, again, I know you believe this about yourself and you listen to people who tell you this all the time, that the SEC is just better because you say so and because you've got the right conference logo patch on your jersey. But we've lined up against, in our last 13 games, we've lined up against you four times and we're 4-0 and against schools that are in your conference or about to be in your conference. And so schedule us and beat us. Until then, I'm going to pretty much say whatever we want. And it, it, it's one of the, it's it's maddening. It's like, dude, you can show up at a neutral site, beat them by seventeen, and they still walk away thinking that they're the better team. It, it, it's just baffling to me. When you look at other Big Twelve schools that played SEC schools this year, uh, even lumping Texas in with the Big Twelve currently, you lost by one against Alabama. Alabama obviously losing a couple games this year, but you're also looking at Missouri, who got boat raced by Kansas State, like that's who we're talking about. We're not talking about Alabama and Georgia when we talk about the SEC. We're but talking but about, neither are these fans, right? Exactly. They're just they're like A and M fans who lose to these yes. good schools and like the teams we lose to are the greatest teams in the country. Like, okay, well yeah. good for you, but you won't even line up and play us. Like you're flapping your gums about how great your conference is. Yes. And y'all have dodged us in the Texas Bowl multiple times. And- Arkansas and Kansas went to triple OT. I mean they're even and by the way when Jason Bean, when that pass landed incomplete, Arkansas's players ran onto the field waving towels, and good for them. I'm glad they were happy. But don't sell me on this, oh, well, we only care about New Year's Six Bowls. We don't want to be there. Like Those players were happy they won, yep. and good for them. But had that pass been complete and they lost, they would have played, oh, well, we just weren't excited to play a school like Kansas or a Big 12 school. And it took them three overtimes? Yeah, two or three. Yeah, After having a like a 20-point lead? With, also, with a, like, what was it, a 14, 16 point lead with a minute and a half? Yeah. And they went to three overtimes. Let's talk defense, too, because th- that's their whole thing, right? Is like, y'all don't even play defense in the Big 12. Well, 42 to 27 at NRG or 42 25, whatever it was. Yeah. Uh, y'all gave up 50 something to Kansas, the worst Power Five program of the last decade. And so I. Like, how, how can you not stop little old Texas Tech from scoring 42 on you if y'all are so great at playing defense? It's just like such an outdated trope. And Arkansas beat Kansas in like a 2007-style Big 12 game, but they'll still pound their chest about, oh, well, we, we play defense in this conference. Okay. It, it's just – I mean, it's amusing to me at this point. It shouldn't be, but it is amusing to me at this point that Peter Burns – ESPN lackey will get on Twitter and say every, every SEC coach would rather have a big 12 schedule. No, you wouldn't. No, you wouldn't because you don't want to play nine conference games, a power five game in non-conference and not get a FCC, FFS, FC, FCS school in November. Yeah. Like they just say stuff. Because Paul Feinbaum says it, and they don't understand how f- stupid it is. It's just wrong. Well, like, they are right. It is tough to have, like, Alabama or Georgia on your schedule. But, like, that's one game, and those two teams beat most everyone who lines up in front of them. But, like, 
don't sell me on the rest of your schedule, like the middle six games of your schedule being no. any harder or something. Yeah, like, is Vanderbilt like, I, a tough game? Kentucky, no. because they're in the SEC. Florida lost to Appalachian been, State. Florida's been awful for the last five years. They are a lot of programs like that are in identical shape to the middle programs of the Big Twelve, and they think that we're completely beneath them. You saw it from Ole Miss fans coming into the game. They were like, "Oh, I, like we shouldn't even be forced to take the field with a lowly program like this." Well, when the clock hit all zeros, we were both eight and five, and we beat you by seventeen. I want to talk about the crowd as well. Um, I'm in the press box, and the, they don't open the windows in the press box, so I was kind of hearing through the glass. But it was resounding that maybe it was 60-40 Tech fans to Ole Miss fans. Maybe it was 50-50. It sounded like 80-20. Tech fans made that place sound like the Jones, and coaches said it afterwards, and I don't think they're just being coaches or just being recruiters at this point. It was an incredible showing by Texas Tech fans. And you and I have talked about this for the last couple of months. If you're going to be on Twitter talking about how you're the greatest fan base, if you're going to be winning Twitter polls, show it in real life. And in my opinion, Texas Tech fans showed it in real life. Uh, It was the highest attended bowl game so far in bowl season at 53,000. Yeah, it was one of those things. Um, a quick humble brag here. Shout out to Briggsy who bought the uh, the four tickets where me and some friends were seated. We were pretty close to the field, and I was so locked in on the game. I like it took me a while to turn around and like see what how the crowd had filled in, and I was like, man, the lower bowl is full. Yes, the second bowl is pretty full, and it's not till you get up to like the third, fourth, you know, upper deck. It, it thins out a little bit up there. You know, it's not a sellout. But there were people in there. Yeah. Yeah. I was like, okay. Like, I, I did not realize this until I kind of turned around and took that perspective. I was like, okay, yeah, we have more fans here. And I want to say another thing. The going band was amazing. I don't I don't know if they were, like, pumping in sound or what. Yeah. But they just seemed loud and, like, energetic. The timing was great. Like, I think the band kind of made a good impact and, like, kept our side mm-hmm. of the stadium, our crowd going. I wish they would get to play more at home. A concept, right? Yeah. I mean, they're pretty good, right? Yeah. <laughs> it'd, be nice, it'd be nice to hear more at home. But They, uh, they but even played fun. a little bit of Wabash Cannonball. Yes. I was in the crowd paying homage to Kansas State doing this. <laughs> uh, it'd be cool if they got to get into the back half of their uh, – uh, music sheets uh, at home. They have to do a well, new bowl game, I guess. I mean, here's the thing. The, the counterpoint to that is like, well, you know, the home games are they're corporate events. They've got ads to sell. They've got corporate sponsors that need shout-outs. Like, okay, that's fair. Sell the band. Well, is there anything more corporate than a, a bowl game? The, the, the Tax Act Texas oh, yeah. Bowl? The Cheez-It Bowl? They were like, doing games every single commercial break. Yeah, like we, we got company logos on the field. The whole thing is a corporate-sponsored game, and yet the band was able to play. So it was like maybe, I don't know, if we could shift how we recognize those corporate sponsors, who we're all very grateful for. Uh, absolutely. But in a way that doesn't interrupt every single time out and the band could play, I think that would keep some juice in the in the Jones a little bit better. 
I mean, I'm sitting here with the Cardinals logo right behind my head. You and I understand, right? And we talked about Tyler Chuck staying earlier. Stay trig. Hey, I'm going to need stay trig soon because I'm moving to Fort Worth. And when I come back to Lubbock, I'll be using a stay trig. You know them by now, staytrig.com. If you haven't booked with them yet, remember you can get 10% off your first booking at staytrig.com using the promo code Gauchos. Staytrig is your local option for a short-term home rental. If you're coming back to Lubbock on business, visiting some family, here for basketball season, uh, baseball is really not too far around the corner, Rob. Don't go with an Airbnb. Don't roll the dice and trust the reviews on a website like that. Instead, take the safe bet, the sure thing, staytrig.com. Every single property in Lubbock is decorated and furnished at a high-scale professional standard. So stay with our friends at StayTrig, and again, 10% off your first booking using the promo code GAUCHOS. So we understand the corporate nature, okay? We get it. We get it. But the band needs new uniforms, right? We're always talking about how the band needs money. Yeah. Some Somebody sponsor the band? The, the tax the, the, act going band. The gambling gauchos tuba section. Like, let's let's get these guys with patches on their uniforms and uh, sell out a little bit. That's how, I mean, Cody Campbell's name is on the field, for God's sakes. We can do it. We can do yeah. it. Somebody step up. Uh, I don't know where they're going to sit. I don't know how the seating is going to be. If they're in that, uh, if they're in the, the outlaw section next year, the band, what's up? If they're in the band next year, do it that way, but I really enjoyed, to your point, I, I didn't notice how much I enjoyed the non, I mean, they pumped in music too, but it just, uh, it was nice. And, and NRG, it was a nice facility. It was it was nice. Uh, but being at Jerry World two or three weeks ago, <laughs> I mean, it's, it's all right. I mean, NRG is nice. It's okay. It's nothing Cowboys like Jerry Homer. It's nothing like Jerry World, but... I mean, I mean, it just looked like a high, it looked like a giant high school gym, the roof and all that. The it was really enclosed. Well, you've never been to a real NFL stadium, like when I went to the Final Four at US Bank Stadium in Minneapolis. That is a football stadium. Uh, hey, the Cowboys won last night. Old Tongue of Iloa from Maryland is moving the ball on NC State. They're uh, they're in the red zone again. It's ten to nine. Wolfpack. Yeah, our NC State Wolfpack. Hey, uh, I did notice we we're all over the place, but uh, Philip Bleedy is getting an impressive list of uh, schools offering him. And and I think, you know, we joked, probably not on the podcast yet, but uh, I'll, you know what? I'm not going to throw you under the bus. I joked when Reggie Pearson left that, and I love, I love Reggie Pearson. I would have loved him for him to come back. But I think how Tyler Owens played in the bowl game and, and how some of these guys are, are working underneath him, I joked it was funny that, you know, guys can't see playing time at Texas Tech, so they're going to Oklahoma. Well, when Philip Bleedy can't get on the field at Texas Tech as a starter, and he's getting offered by NC State, Indiana, Arizona State, I, I mean, to me, I feel pretty good about that. Just uh, And again, just kind of another feather in the cap where Texas Tech is and where they're headed. I don't know if yeah, they're somebody, there yet, but but they're getting there. Somebody messaged me on Twitter today. I'm not trying to dog a guy for leaving or anything like that, no. but it was 
uh, it was a James Blanchard quote tweet of some Tyler Owens highlights. And this staff has not been shy about praising Tyler Owens. No. But they like are really laying it on thick lately, it seems. And, and so, so Blanchard just has a very complimentary tweet about Tyler Owens. Somebody sends it to us on Twitter and is like, you know, they basically rolled out the red carpet for for Pearson. I was like, I don't know if I'd go that far because no. he made some good plays. And and again, I was I was intrigued if they. I know Tyler Owens is great too, and so I was I wanted to see Tyler Owens uh, play alongside Taylor Demerson and maybe roll Pearson down to star. Pearson had other ideas. That that's fine, you know, all good. But it it does make you think. Okay, they weren't exactly like. What's that? That clip from Willy Wonka? Like, stop! No, wait! Come back! You know, yeah. If if it makes sense for both parties, we've got plenty of dudes on our roster. If you want to go seek playing time elsewhere, that's you know we'll be supportive of that, and that seems to be the case at the at the safety position. In the game, there was there were still too many secondary breakdowns. There were a lot of wide ass open Ole Miss receivers, but again, if you're keeping people inside the twenties. I'm not complaining too much. Yeah, you um, you turn their quarterback over three times, and so you you take the good with the bad. Four times. Um, three picks. Did he? Was he one of the fumbles as well? I think he was. Yeah. I know they had the receiver fumble after the catch. They had five I couldn't remember turnovers. What the, yeah, you had two. So look, if you're selling out to stop the run and you're succeeding at that by bottling up Quinchon Judkins, that means guys in the secondary are more vulnerable. Yeah. Okay, especially if you're making up for that with some turnovers, that I, I I can live with that. But but yeah, to your point, it, it can still be tightened up in the secondary. I did notice that uh, Nehemiah Martinez was out, uh, or at least didn't get a target. Did he play? Was he out? Did I miss that totally? I didn't see him much. Um, Brady Boyd got some snaps. I know yeah. that Brady Boyd doesn't always play in the slot, but um, Mason Tharp was out. He was in street clothes. So yeah, he. I don't know. He might have been dinged up or or something. Yeah, had uh, by targets. Bradley with eleven, Fungi with nine, Price with six, White with four, and then Boyd, Teeter, Sirajic, Baron Morton, uh, Taj Brooks, and Koye can all get one or two. Two things, real quick, on two individual players on the offensive side of the ball. Taj Brooks has played two career games at NRG Stadium. 29 carries, 224 yards, 7.7 yards per carry, two touchdowns. I would love if the University of Houston would host us at NRG instead of at their home stadium. Because if they did, I think we should hand the ball to Todd like 30 times because he's pretty dang good in that stadium. And you can be like, oh, well, what opponents was that against? Well, an SEC SEC team that was ranked as high as seventh or eighth in the country at one point this season, and a 12 win Houston team that every national pundit was telling us was a college football playoff contender or New Year's Six playoff contender um, before this season started. So I don't want to hear any of that. Anyway, Tosh Brooks, really good at NRG. Um, Loic Fungi had a really good game. Um, it kind of capped it off with that kickoff return touchdown on the onside attempt. But even before that, good catches, uh, good runs after the catch. He looked he looked really good against Murray State. And then I think this is just a theory, just a hypothesis. I think he was dinged up 
for a large he was. portion of the season. And he looked healthier. He looked fast. He looked strong. And so if you've got him and Jaron Bradley at the outside spot, yeah, hit that again. Dog. Um, now, I thought that they were sort of expecting Dre McRae to play outside, but the outside receiver room looks crowded. And if, if McRae can play in the slot, you know, across from Miles Price, Xavier White, it's starting to look like you have some serious dudes at receiver. Because Nehemiah Martinez, you have a bunch of receivers. Yeah, Brady Boyd. And you still have Sparkman and Cleveland on the outside. So I'm excited to see what that looks like. Yeah. Um, Dre McCray, some people are going to be like, oh, he's an FCS, Austin P transfer. Well, he's played three games against FBS opponents, Alabama, Ole Miss, and Western Kentucky, which people might not think Western Kentucky is all that, but they've been really good in Conference USA the last two years. And in those three games, he basically didn't miss a beat versus what he put up against FCS competition. Those three games against FBS schools, and mind you, this is in his freshman and sophomore year of college, so he could still kind of be developed further. 24 receptions, so that's eight per game. 269 yards, that's about 90 per game, and two touchdowns in his last 14 games of his college career, so the very tail end of his freshman year and all of this season. Last 14 games, he has 10 with six or more receptions, three with 10 or more receptions, nine games with 90-plus receiving yards, eight games with at least one touchdown, and four games with at least two touchdowns. Rob, he had a game where he had 200-plus yards and four touchdowns. I don't care if that's FCS, FBS, FAS. You're a damn good receiver if you have that stat line. And so I am not minimizing this dude at all based on the school he's coming from. I think he's going to be a dude. And his profile, he's a speedy player, and that's the one thing you were kind of missing in this receiver room was a guy who can really take the top off. I think that's him next year. Are there any more spots that you want a transfer because I think I'm – I would love to have another transfer or two. I think that's good. But I, I don't know that there's any spot where I'm just begging to go get a dude. I think you I have think, a roster. I think inside linebacker and left tackle. If you knew you have a bona fide all-conference guy coming in at one of those two spots, I'd take him. Inside linebacker would be my my one spot where I would say, you know, I, I think that could probably make sense. And I want to pay – a sincere compliment to Matt Wills. We've made a big deal about recruiting over the years. Not all of that was Wills. Some of it was. And he did not do a good enough job recruiting the numbers needed out of the high school ranks. But one thing he did really well, this was, of course, not enough to um, to save his job or, or give him like an A-plus on his overall body of work. But one thing he did really well was find transfers slash grad transfer grad transfers who could play. Going back to when he first got here, um, Evan Rambo from Cal, Armand Shine from Utah, RJ Turner from UL Monroe. Some of those guys battled injuries, but when they were on the field, they were starting caliber, two deep caliber players for you. Tyree Wilson's about to be a top fifteen pick in the NFL draft. Colin Schooler was a dude. 
I'm sure I'm missing uh, Krishan Merriweather. The last Krishan three Merriweather, years yeah. has Juco. been a dude for you. Malik Dunlap, Rashad Williams, yeah. uh, Muddy, Muddy Waters. Yeah, I mean, it, he didn't really miss on any of the transfers they brought in. No, and, that, that, and they didn't get very many high school kids. But uh, I yeah, get, I mean, I guess you could. They recruited I guess you could say well. Like, they just didn't recruit enough. Yeah, Jacob Morgenstern from Duke. Um, I guess you could say that they missed on Henry Columbia. You know, he was he was okay. He wasn't like a difference well, maker at quarterback. It, both of those guys, though, were just from previous stops. I kind of gave them passes yeah. on those because that was Derek Jones bringing in Morgan Stern. Yeah. So anyway, I, I was thinking about that. I was like, man, this season might have looked different without Tyree Wilson. It definitely would have looked different down the stretch without Krishan Merriweather. And so the I'm glad corner, that we the had two starting corners were were Matt Wells transfers. Yeah, so I'm glad we had dudes like that, and that's where I sincerely want to say he, that element of his team building, program building, is really hard to argue with. And again, that's why I always push back against like Texas Tech has a talent gap. They don't have a talent gap in the Big Twelve, in the in the bottom six teams. Sure, there's a recruiting talent gap between the top four, maybe in a given year, and you, but you're recruiting like the bottom half of the Big Twelve. You just had depth issues. You had enough players at Texas Tech in the last 10 years to win seven games. You should have been in a bowl game every year. You had some poor coaching. You didn't develop. You didn't improve. And you were top-heavy. So injuries or whatever else, you were bad by the end of the year. Yeah. All of that is being erased now. Yeah, the problem with that is when you go that heavy on grad transfer and you supplement it with an 11-guy high school class, you know, it was ranked 78th or whatever in a month, Joey got it up to 36 or whatever in that 2022 class. Yeah. And it was like, that's what you need. Like, and, and Wells and his coaches said, well, yeah, well, we're, we're full. Like, what do you mean we're full? We've got 11 kids coming in. How can you be full? Yeah. Now I know you've got extra dudes there because of COVID and you don't have as many rolling off as you used to, but Joey practically doubled that in that high school recruiting class and found the scholarships for him. And so, Look, everybody around you is taking 20 or 25 high school kids a year. You can't take 11 and say that you're full, even if you're hitting on all these grad transfer types, which they did a good job of. Yeah. And, again, you don't have a data ray. You you didn't have a guy like that in the last couple classes. You didn't have um, some of the other fresh – Jacoby Jackson is a guy who came in and played. uh, uh, Actually, probably a Welsh recruit there. Mm -hmm. Um so again, I never bought the the cliff empty cupboard bull because Tubby recruited well. Cliff created his own problems, and then Matt Wells again. You have you have top end talent at Texas Tech, at least to compete in the Big Twelve. You just had depth issues, and I'm really excited about the depth of this team moving forward. We just talked about the depth at wide receiver. We've talked about the depth at quarterback. We've talked about the depth at running back. We talked about the depth on the offensive line now moving forward. The depth on the defensive line moving forward. Um, I think with a couple of four-star safeties coming in and some corners that you got in last year's class, a corner in this year's class, you finally have some depth maybe building on the defensive backfield. So, yeah, the only place you're really maybe thin at heading into next year might be linebacker. Right, and you want to improve all of these places, yes. But I I feel pretty good about next year's team with Tyler Shuck or Baron Morton, and I know the quarterback means a lot. 
Um, yeah, uh, one last thought on this, uh-huh. and we can move on. Uh, marathon episode, but it's a it's a season recap. So, um, past coaches, I think, would do a good job situationally in recruiting, but it, it wasn't it wasn't balanced enough. And so, like, okay, we bring in Eric Ezukama, four star receiver. That's awesome, and you and I love Easy. But if in that same recruiting class you have like two offensive linemen, two DBs. Well, those are position groups where you have five on the field at once. So you should probably have four or five in your recruiting class. Yes. And so, it, like you said, it wasn't that you just missed out on guys like Easy or Baron Morton that were four-star guys. It was that, okay, you need those two, and then you also need four offensive linemen, four defensive linemen, five DBs. And there were classes like Cliff when you're four defensive players, any position. How is that going to work, you know? It's like, okay, great, we got some stud receivers, but we don't have anybody to throw to them or anybody to block for them. What's it going to matter? And so that's another thing I think Joey has done great is we're going to recruit every position, uh, treat them all as kind of like equally important and understand we're not going to win games if we don't have depth at linebacker, depth in the trenches on offensive and defensive lines, depth in the secondary, speed at receiver. And so I don't think we're going to have these classes where like, okay, we signed five receivers this year, one the next year. No offensive lineman this year, six the next year. I think he gets it like you need to restock every position group every cycle. And we're talking a lot about depth here, but when you said recruiting situationally, yeah. The, these past two recruiting staffs and coaches recruited to immediate need. And that's why you didn't have very thick high school classes. And that's why young players didn't pan out with Cliff. I mean, you're recruiting corners because you need a corner this year and they're playing immediately like Nigel Bethel, it's tough. Um, You had a lot of four-year starters on defense because no one else was in the building. You just had to throw them out there. So it's it's fun to finally see a program builder, not just a head coach here at Texas Tech because you've not had a good program builder here in a long time. Uh, Kyle, did you run into any trouble uh, in Houston? Getting any fights or causing any catastrophic injuries or or any of that? You're up. Yeah, there you go. No, the Ole Miss fans after the game were wise to avoid me so as not to experience a catastrophic injury. Just kidding, of course. But if I were in some kind of situation, I would call our friends over at Barnett, Howard, and Williams, and they would probably shake their head at my shenanigans and then help me out because they're good people to have in your corner should you need them. And they hope you never do, but they do family law, criminal defense, catastrophic injury, certified for Title IX student litigation. So check out our friends at bhwlawfirm.com, based in Fort Worth, but they handle cases all across the state of Texas. And happy to announce we are going to continue with a a version of Gaucho's After Dark Um, every weeknight basketball game that Texas Tech plays. We'll do a people's post game and that'll be sponsored by our friends over at Barnett, Howard and Williams. So we appreciate their support of that as we head into, I guess it's been basketball season, but now it's basketball season without football season. So it's kind of a different, different feel to it. Have they added uh, copyright or billboard law to their repertoire? You know, we asked a while ago when that was, catching on and uh they don't do that kind of law so if you 
if you popularized a slogan that permeates a fan base yeah, and is now being co-opted by a university on billboards all across the state of Texas or, you know, screenshotted by quote unquote journalists and then pasted onto their Facebook pages to steal engagement from the originators of that piece of content. Then uh, I actually inquired to a, a different attorney as well. Somebody that might know something about like copyright law. And his legal explanation was that the term is only valuable because of its widespread usage. And so if you block people from using it, he basically thought it wouldn't get approved. There's nothing proprietary there. But people have started to ask, like, hey, did you guys start that or did you just popularize it? And I feel like it's gotten so big now in a year, somebody's like not going to believe us when we're like, yeah, we started that. They'll be like, no, you didn't. Like, that's... That's been around. I was like, no, dude, I have the receipts. Hashtag it spreads. Anyway, that was a long rant. Um, so Yeah, sorry. I put you in on that one. Are you ready for some Discord mailbag? No, I want to talk Kiffin first. I was going to put it in the mailbag, but we can certainly make it its own thing because I think it deserves it. I'm trying to imagine the scenario that he described where there's a, a scuffle because there wasn't a fight. There's, you know, a little bit of pushing and shoving. Nobody stole punches that we saw or took off their helmet or anything. Someone kind of face slap maybe, but it, not a full swing. Yeah. So we'll, we'll call it a scuffle, a, a scrum. A fracas. A fracas. Um, mostly black players, some white players. And I guess his allegation is that one of our white players in front of his own black teammates yells a racial slur at the opposing team. And nobody heard it. Nobody reacted to it as if they heard it. The refs didn't hear it because the refs are, of course, right in the middle of this fracas trying to break it up. Nobody saw anybody get spit on. His player, who's a Division One collegiate athlete, is so harmed by this that he comes off the field crying. That was what Lane Kiffin said. And that, again, nobody on the field ever heard anything about it. And so Lane Kiffin is like, well, we'll just litigate this in the postgame press conference. By the way, I think this happened, but maybe not. We'll see. And then ESPN and everybody else just says, okay, sure, we'll run with that. And then Dimitri Moore, uh, who is black, and Joey McGuire released a statement the next morning or afternoon saying, this did not happen. We cannot refute this strongly enough. Um, and to this point, it's, uh, what, Friday afternoon? And nothing from Ole Miss, like retracting it, clarifying I don't believe Nothing that it from happened. ESPN, there's no update. There's no alternate headline. And but I, I'm not a journalist. You call me Big J Journal sometimes, but I'm just a guy who blogs games. I'm an opinionist. I write opinions. But I know well enough to put allegedly in a headline when there's no proof. And it was tech player lobs racial slur allegedly spits like there was no allegedly involved in that. And I guess ESPN doesn't have the backbone to say, Hey, maybe Texas was Texas tech wasn't racist because if you say that, I guess ESPN as a, as a national chain as a on Twitter would get hammered for it. Uh, they got hammered anyways. I, I don't know. Um, e even the ones that like outkick, which is not a, not a, journalistic outlet right 
they use the word allegedly, or like Lane Kiffin says, but after yes. stating it as a fact. And so they were like, Texas Tech player spits on and hurls racial slur at Ole Miss player, right. says Lane Kiffin. Okay, well, that's Lane Kiffin just saying something isn't newsworthy because I could say whatever I wanted. You know, right. Kyle says Ole Miss fans beat him with brass knuckles in the stands because they're sore losers. It's the battery thing all over. It it is battery cope. It's the same song, different verse. Except we're, now it's players and not fans. We're embarrassed we lost to Texas Tech because we thought we could show up, get off the bus with SEC on our chest and just win by birthright. And then they handed it to us all night. And now we're embarrassed about it, so we're gonna make this up. And I and I believe it's fully made up. There's one white Texas Tech player in the fracas, Isaac Smith. He's behind everybody again. He would have had to have hurled that slur across nearly a dozen of his own black teammates who I'm sure would have reacted. Yes. And again, the refs, the refs are ejecting people, calling flags. If they heard that said in the fracas, and, and, and by the way, Isaac Smith is not even the player that's accused of this, so I'm not no, trying to number 11. conflate yeah, Dimitri that. Moore. Dimitri Moore, who again is African-American. The whole the whole scenario that Lane Kevin describes makes zero sense. Zero sense. And he furthermore, to just diminish his credibility even more, he was like, no, the refs just got it wrong. They called it on our number 11, but it was their number 11. Our number 11 wasn't even in that scrum. Well, There's video and picture evidence. Yeah. Their number 11 is right in the middle of it, shoving guys, trying to pull guys off the pile. I don't know if he said or did anything wrong, but to say that his number 11 – wasn't even there, and so the penalty couldn't have been on him is not accurate. D- Dimitri Moore was in the middle of it. I know, but Lane Kiffin is saying that his number 11 right. was nowhere near the scene of the crime, and he was. Both, both number 11s were in it. But what was crazy was Kiffin called a timeout two plays later when he noticed that there was a 30-yard penalty. Like, How do you not confront that immediately when they're calling both penalties on you? Now, so I was I, I was surprised when they didn't do offsetting penalties, but you watch the video, tech guys are pulling guys away. Ole Miss is moving forward into the tech guys. Yeah, and, they're trying to get in our face. And maybe Dimitri Moore is holding their guy's jersey. I couldn't see whose hand it was, but even if it was, it should have been both teams. It wasn't. That's not what they called. Right. I and and on the field. If you think it was wrong, then call out the official, not a player, because that is a serious accusation. And yeah. and even if the racial part wasn't in it, even if it's not, let's just take it out. Spitting on someone is one of the lowest things you can do. And probably in the national landscape is even worse since there was a national, international pandemic that was, you know, widely criticized, obviously, but spitting on someone is an absolute subpar human thing to do. And to, and to put that forward and to say a, a racial slur happened, he was just trying to think of the two worst things and lob it out because he's Lane Kiffin and a head coach and he wouldn't lie. And then immediately walk it back yes. saying, well, that's what I heard might have happened, but I, I don't know for sure. Like that is, if you're going to have the stones to accuse somebody of that, a serious offense, especially a young amateur athlete, like not his peer. He's not accusing the fellow coaches of doing that. The players that he's coaching or or that age group demographic is what he's accusing. 
it was it was weak and soft. I don't believe it. And and maybe there wouldn't be video of the spitting incident, but like Bill Romanowski, twenty years ago, got in trouble for spitting on a guy that's on video. Yeah, you would have seen some kind of like lunging head motion. Like you can tell when somebody is trying to spit far. You know. Yes. And the only clip that kind of looks like that is an Ole Miss player looking at the Tech sideline. I don't know if he spits because his back is turned to the camera, but it's that motion in that direction. It's not on a player. It's just directed at our sideline. But in this fracas of guys where you can see shoving, you can see guys moving around, pulling bodies off, whatever, you don't see anybody's head go back or lunge like they're spitting at anyone. Yeah, comment yes. comes in saying what you just said. So there's two people saying the there was a sideline spit from Ole Miss. But again, I didn't see that. I'm not going to say it. And I certainly wouldn't say it in a press conference. Like, if you're Lane Kiffin and you want to make a comment, say, yeah, the the double, the double penalty there uh, late in the game, we have to keep our composure better. There were some things that our players have said. We're going to look into that. Uh, t- this is not the time and place to get into that next question. Uh, yeah, I think that's one of those quote unquote unwritten rules that everybody loves. It's like you don't really divulge trash talk from between the lines. You know, if there's a fracas like this, guys get asked all the time, "Hey, wh- what wh- what exactly was said that set you off?" Or and guys say, "You know what? That's that's between me and him. That stays between the lines. You know, whatever." But here's the other. Here's the last thing on this that I'll. I think is my final point in the post game press conference, Lane Kiffin says he, he recounts an alleged conversation that he had with Joey McGuire after the game where Lane Kiffin's like, yeah, I went up to him and, and Joey was like, yeah, you know, these officials, huh? And I was like, yeah, they're really bad. And then Lane Kiffin basically says like, I made Joey McGuire aware of what his player said and did. And Kind of makes it sound like McGuire acknowledged it and was like, okay, yeah, like we'll talk to him or whatever. But there's video of their postgame handshake, which, by the way, Lane Kiffin, so slow to get off his own sideline, Joey has to jog about 85% of the way across the field to go shake Kiffin's hand because Kiffin wasn't going to be in any kind of a hurry to meet him at midfield. And they're smiling. It looks like a completely positive, pleasant interaction, whereas – Again, I'm not a lip reader, but to me, that conversation would have looked differently if Kiffin is accusing one of Joey's players of of doing and saying that. And you would have think that like Joey's body language, his reaction would have looked different too. It looked like a completely normal post game. Hey, good game. Your guys played well. Good luck next season. See you later. Like there was no no apparent animosity or allegations or anything like that. So it. Honestly, to me, based on the evidence we do have right now and what I saw on video with my own two eyes, just sounds like Kiffin made up the entire thing. And didn't come out and respond to the the statements made by Joe. By the way, kudos to Joey McGuire and Dimitri Moore and for Texas Tech Athletics to put those two statements out. Um, that's how you do it. And you do it quickly. You do it, you do it swiftly. You do it... From the two people involved, I'm glad Dimitri Moore got to say his piece as well. Um, but you don't need to make it a huge deal. You don't need to do a press conference. Just say it and move on. Well, and and let's not forget this 
principle. Now this isn't this isn't a legal matter, you know, it's more just like a sportsmanship matter. But the burden of proof is on the accuser. And so there's been a a Texas state senator who said, "Hey, Tech, why don't you investigate this and have the report on my desk by whatever?" So we have to go now prove that something wasn't said. How do you prove that somebody didn't say something? Like, why don't you, if y'all are making a serious allegation like this, why don't y'all have proof that it happened? Like the player that this was allegedly directed at from Ole Miss, have him explain exactly what was said and by who, and then see if any of the other players and officials, because we know who they all are, if they heard anything similar. And if you have no evidence for it, nobody will corroborate that. Uh, Look, there's, you have the broadcast footage, which is what I'm talking about seeing, but there's photographers and both teams have their creative teams uh, shooting the games uh, pretty much around the clock. And so like, produce some kind of evidence before just throwing this out there and tarnishing a young man's reputation yeah. based on something that you so far have zero proof of. And in six months when we're talking about something on Twitter, some SEC douchebag is going to respond saying, Oh, well, tech players were saying racial slurs to Ole Miss in the bowl game. Like, no, yep. they weren't. Yeah, they'll be like, not surprising coming from this fan base. You know, and they'll link to what is now an outdated ESPN article or whatever. Yep. It, it's the same thing that happened with Marcus Smart. The night of that incident, the media went wild with it, this slur was hurled at him, or he was told to go back to Africa, or the the allegation itself, the quote itself even changed. Like nobody was even sure exactly what was said to him that was so wrong. And then there's audio evidence later that he was called a piece of crap, which isn't great, but it's also a long, long ways off from a racial slur. And so I have no doubt that both teams look again, they're division one college athletes. They trash talk each other during the game. I have no doubt that that was going on, but for the coach to throw an opposing player under the bus like that with no evidence to back it up is just, and I'll say this, this is my final thought on it to come from the coach whose team faked four injuries at least had, had three players ejected two for targeting committed more penalties, had five times, six times as many penalty yards for him to gripe about the sportsmanship of the other team. Just like you, you don't have a leg to stand on anymore. So even if it was a credible allegation, which it's not, it would have been discredited simply because of who was making the allegation, in my opinion. Like you do all that within 60 minutes of game time, and then you're going to gripe to me that like your team was the victim of unsportsmanlike conduct. I don't buy it. It's ridiculous. All right, uh, Discord mailbag. Yes. Brought to you by our friends at Diversified Lenders. Take your accounts receivable and turn them into cash. Diversifiedlenders.com. How do I get my question answered on the Discord mailbag? You submit it on Discord. How do you get in Discord? Go to patreon.com slash gambling gauchos. We will message you a Discord link after you uh, sign up on Patreon. Fun little community being built over there. Really fun. It kind of... Slowly grew at first and has blown up lately. A lot of the folks that we had a great time with at Bell Station, we met through the Patreon Discord community. And so I think we get good reviews in there. I think people have a good time. It's worth the five bucks a month. 
and a portion of that goes to the Matador Club. But yeah, please join us over there. It's a good time. All right, I'm going to start with some questions we got but didn't get to uh, at Bell Station. Uh, they they still ring true today. Uh, on the contract extension, is Joey McGuire's contract enough money to keep him if he does well? Yes and no. If a if a really wealthy program wants to back up the Brinks truck, could they pay the dollar amount specified in the buyout currently? Sure. But as soon as a team or a program comes after him like that, Tech will just offer Joey a new contract. And so I don't think either party is looking to move on anytime soon. And I think it's one of those, you know, Cody Campbell even tweeted when the contract extension news came out, he said, I, I think we'll probably give Joey another contract yeah. before this one's up. And so I think there's just sort of an understanding there. You, He deserved a raise. He deserved an extension. And he'll probably get another one in, in a year or two if, if things keep trending in the direction we think they will. If Joey McGuire wins the Big 12 next year, he'll get a $2 million raise. Yeah, that put him at what, like five and a half-ish base salary? Yeah. Sure. Because he's six in the, for it. He's six in the Big 12 right now. If he wins the Big 12 in year two, uh, he'll, be, he'll be on his way. I mean, you'll, you'll make him a top three paid coach in the Big 12. Whatever that number is, I think is it is it six years twenty eight million. The final it goes up a hundred thousand a year, and in twenty twenty eight he's making four point one. I think. Okay, so it's like kind of between three and a half and four. Yeah. For the okay, yeah. Cool. So it might even be up to six, but you'll make him a top three. He's he's at sixth right now. You'll you'll give him another million dollars, and and it'll be a top three contract the year after. If if what you just said happens, you win the Big Twelve and you go to the playoff, he he's worth whatever yeah. Yeah. dollar amount he says. I mean that is so valuable for your athletic department. You just yes. pay him. Yes, and the money's there. I mean, if you go to the playoff, you get an extra two million dollars anyways. Just give it to Joey. Yeah, <laughs> I mean that's they should give it to Sonny Dykes at TCU. Gary Patterson had all that talent for the last three years. Nobody knew was really a huge contributor. It was the three guys that have been there the whole time. And then defensively, maybe they brought in a linebacker that was huge. But all that talent was there. All right. Uh, start bench cut victory beers after work beers, airport beers. Victory beers after work beers, airport beers. Agreed. Uh, this from the Goat Big Hen is Tyler Shuck the Goat. We t- you asked me about this on the way home. You said if Shuck stays and plays 13 games, where does he rank all time? Uh, I mean, just that, w- that wasn't quite the premise of the question. I said if we win the Alamo Bowl, next right? Year. There was a there was a, a stipulation there to win a big bowl game, but uh, I mean, I couldn't answer. It's so hard. Let's just say since 2000. I mean, in the air raid era, where does he rank? And again, where do you put Patrick? Because at Texas Tech. So here's how I kind of look at it. He would be – you had a stretch there where B.J. Simmons, Sonny Cumbie, Cody Hodges were all one-year wonders. Right. If he has one year plus everything we've seen from him and it culminates in a big bowl win, to me, if we're talking like legacy and greatest, well, not like best quarterback because that's Patrick Mahomes, to me his resume then is better than those three. It's not as good as Harold's because he was a three-year starter, kind of has the benefit of longevity. 
So I'd put him like in between the Cliff Harrell rung, but above the Cumby Hodges Simmons rung. I mean, I let's think. just say he's eight and four next year, and they go to the Alamo Bowl. If you're looking at it in that respect, and Tyler Shuck starts all of those games, he would be seventeen and five as a starting quarterback with nine more wins. He's eight and one right now, nine and four. 17 and 5. I mean, that yeah. is Graham Harrell esque. Um, can you recall ever seeing a more physical display by the Red Raiders like the one we saw in that Texas Bowl? No. I think you've had some individual performances over the last decade where you looked really physical. But again, I stretched this run back for games. And I've never seen a four-game stretch where Texas took, looked that good. I've never heard ESPN commentators Not say never, multiple multiple times during a game against an SEC opponent that we were noticeably the more physical team. Maybe Arkansas in 2015, but that was a close game. Uh, immediate reaction is, is it settled that Tyler Shuck is QB1 going forward? We talked about I think that. we covered that. Yeah. Start, bench, cut, jambalaya, gumbo, red beans, and rice. The gumbo is your choice. Mm. This one's tough. Um, I'll start jambalaya. If I can add some sausage to the red beans and rice, which if I get to choose my gumbo, I feel like I should be able to do that. Yeah, I think... It has a little sausage in there. Yeah. Landui. I'd probably bench that. Also very good. And I would cut gumbo. I think gumbo is actually a little bit overrated. I would start gumbo. I would bench red beans and rice and cut jambalaya. Gumbo is one of those foods that people think just, just, cause it takes, just, just because stop. it takes a long time to prepare that it must be good. I you know you have no idea how desperately I want to say you've never tried my gumbo, but I'm not gonna say it. I'm not gonna get into that. That's what like all four people I know. who have I know. cooked me gumbo have said about it. I know, I know. Is yours spicy? Yes. Okay, that would help because you know, some people do you, you know my last you, name? Uh, I know people whose last name rhymes and is spelled the exact same way That's as true. yours. That's true. And they think I'm like asking, is it spicy as like a deterrent? They're like, oh, no, yeah. no, no, it's not that spicy. It's fine. And I'm like, no, I want it. No, it's spicy. Okay. Yeah. But I might try your gumbo sometime then. All right. I'll be happy to cook it for you. Uh, <laughs> this is to you. Start bench cut, dosa keys, swing your sword drinks, or the tequila shot? Uh, Definitely cutting the tequila shot. I hate tequila. That was good start- tequila. I'll start Dos Equis. That's all reliable. The, the Swinger Short was pretty good. You know, it was timely. I don't think I'd order it again. So I'll bench that one. Uh, new new question, bro. What's your favorite gumbo? Chicken and sausage. If I, was, if I was in somewhere else, I would probably put some shrimp in there at the end. But in Lubbock, Texas, chicken and sausage. I'm not. Yeah. Uh, we're doing thighs, bone in, browning. Starting the roux in the chicken fat. I mean, it's it's a whole thing. Yeah, I'm. I like seafood, okay, but it's yeah. it's a rung below like red meat or or chicken or something for me. So I think I might 
prefer your gumbo to some of the seafood gumbo I've had. I had yeah. swordfish jambalaya one time in Washington, D.C. I like jambalaya. It's just stirred up gumbo. Some people uh, in New Orleans uh, put uh, their gumbo on potato salad and not rice. And I, I don't know if I would do that. No. All right. I think that's all. Final thoughts? What a season, man. If you told me, all right, I, I was thinking back. After the Houston game, I was in a little bit of denial. I was like, oh, that game shouldn't have been that close. Like we should have, mm-hmm. we should have won by 17 or 20 or whatever. And then NC State happened, and I was like, we might not be very good. And you told me after the NC State game, you're going to finish with eight wins, a winning record in Big 12 play, a bowl win over an SEC team that is currently ranked in the top 10, 15, which is what Ole Miss was at that juncture in the season. Mm-hmm. I would say, yes, sign me up. I'll, I'll take that next year. Like, re- rebuild this year, and let's do that next year. I'll take it. it it's just hard to gripe, man. I mean – you won your quote unquote big games, three overtime games. You were three and zero in those. The only kind of disappointing game was when you hosted Baylor. And man, I'd love another shot at them based on how they finished down the stretch and how you finished. But the, this team, like, I just never get the feeling that they're going to show up and not be ready to play, like fired up to play. And it doesn't matter if they're the underdog. They were underdogs eight times this year, and they went four and four. So they. And that's straight up, not against the spread. So they completely held their own um, as underdogs. That was with three different quarterbacks started as an underdog. And you managed a 500 record when you were not favored to win. And so I love the, I love a lot of the players, the pieces they have. I like what the coaches are doing. But more than anything, I just think Joey McGuire has gotten to work so quickly on instilling the culture and buy-in. You and I, of course, were believers. We were excited for McGuire. We were buying stock before this season. But for him to kind of show proof of concept this quickly, be like, yeah, we can beat the top of the Big 12. Um, we can win bowl games against the SEC. We can win at the Jones is super impressive to me. And I hope that that energy that I feel kind of permeates the rest of the fan base and we sort of get back to our old, old ways as a fan base because – People talk about the Jones like it's a tough place to play and, and Lubbock, you know, weird things happen. That was true at one point in time. It has not been true by and large uh, these last few years. And so I hope season ticket sales are through the roof. I love the momentum of the program, the facilities, the NIL, the coaches. I just it's really hard for me to find anything that to to hedge my enthusiasm. And so I was buying all the stock I could before the season. I'm still buying now. And, and you look around at some of your peers in the Big 12, um, Oklahoma State, Baylor, Houston even coming yeah. in. Um, you know, I'm sure Kansas, Kansas State, they feel great about their programs. You think of West Virginia, Iowa State. You're in like if, – if I could buy stock in three Big 12 schools, Tech would be among those three and might be number one based on – the price now versus where we think it's going to go. So Texas Tech, Kansas outstanding State, outstanding season. Those three, probably, yeah. I mean, there's some floor options you could buy. You could probably buy the floor of West Virginia, but until Neil Brown yeah. gets fired, I think you're going to stay away from that one. Yeah, but I mean, outstanding season. Love almost everything that happened. Have no gripes, and 
it it kind of feels good to be it feels like we're a football school again like yeah, yeah basketball baseball have had some success but Football is the one with the the biggest stadium, the most eyeballs on TV. That's the one that people want to be most excited for, that they'll travel back to Lubbock more often for. The most money and, generated. And so to not have juice in that program for so long was, you know, we we're trying to ride it out, wait it out, and and I guess we made it to the other side. But man, I was just I'm so glad it didn't it wasn't like some three year rebuild with Joey. I mean, he came in year one and gave us what we've always been asking for. Like, hey, win eight games. Win at the Jones. Go to a bowl game. Win a bowl game. Okay. Checked all those boxes and feel like it's still just going to go up from here. You said it all. all right, we had a, an incredible 2022. More than 100,000 downloads here on the Gambling Gauchos. Uh, Getting the YouTube channel built. Go and subscribe at YouTube. YouTube.com slash at Gambling Gauchos. Uh, you follow us on Twitter. You follow us on Instagram, Facebook. You're listening on Apple and Spotify. Um, we really appreciate what everyone has done. This will be our last episode of the year. Um, we'll see you next year. As Happy in, New Year, everybody. As in Monday. Yeah, we'll have a recap of the Texas Tech TCU basketball game. And then we're on to 2023. Do you have any resolutions three. you want to get through? Well, we'll have every Big 12 team's New Year's resolution. But we're also announcing Phase 3 on Monday at 8.06 a.m. Central Time. Phase 3, like 8.06 Central Time, Monday, January 2nd. We've been teasing that a lot, and we're finally at a place where we can announce it and let the cat out of the bag. If you were a uh, parlay picador and or showed up at Bell Station, you probably already know yeah, or have known for a long time. But the rest of the world will get to know what Phase 3 is, January 2nd, 8.06 a.m. Really excited for that. Really excited to be here with you, Kyle. Wouldn't want to do it with anybody else. You made 2022 one of the best. I know you had some uh, other things that happened this year that you're probably pretty proud of, but... I'm proud of the gambling gauchos and uh, what we've built together. Me too. And I know I've said this before. We kind of started this podcast at a good time because if we were grinding it out in like 2018, 2019, trying to do this podcast, I mean, it it, it would have still been fun. Yeah. But it's more fun for me and you to go to NRG together and watch a bowl win. Last year, I guess, was a little bit up and down. I mean, the, the coaching search was exciting. Of course, we had to fire a coach because he wasn't performing. That part wasn't so great. But, yeah, man, it's a good time to to be doing a podcast with you, and it's been so much fun, and I know we have big plans for the future. We're already – I mean, heck, even before Ole Miss, look, we were focused on Ole Miss 100%, laser-focused. But even before kickoff, we were like, dude, let's go to Laramie next year for the opener. Like, that'll be a cool venue – and I've I've just I have not been this excited about football in a long time. I've not been planning to go to an away game season opener nine months out. Uh, non-conference, and, pretty much right. ever. I've never wanted to go to a non-conference football game since Group I've been able five. to like go. Yeah, yeah. But here we are, and like I said, I just hope that 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 same energy and appreciation is not just confined to us. And I know it's not, but I I'm excited to see where where our fan base goes with the football team performing like it is. All right. 
That's all I got. Happy New Year, everybody. Happy Love New y'all. Year's. Love y'all.